Hello, 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 and welcome back to this episode of the PD Smash Podcast. Today, we have a great one for you. First up, we're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints situation with their quarterback and their QB competition. After that, we are going to talk about the NBA being expected to once again have a play-in tournament after the regular season. And then finally, we're going to talk about Game 1 of the NBA Finals, Suns versus Bucks, as well as my predictions for the series moving forward. Thank you so much, Smash fans, for tuning into this episode. And without further ado, cue that intro. They can say what they want now. Cause we'll be screaming now. We can be heroes everywhere we go. So the QB competition in New Orleans. What a story, what a story, what a story. From everything that you heard from the Saints organization up until this offseason was New Orleans has its guy. And its guy is Taysom Hill. He's got multiple comparisons to Steve Young within the organization. Drew Brees loves him. Sean Payton loves him. Yet, 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 over the past year, the rumors of Jameis Winston becoming the Saints starting QB have become more and more and more heavily speculated and heavily publicized. And going into this offseason, it was a toss-up between who would be starting at the QB position. And since the offseason, both quarterbacks have been working exclusively on being a quarterback. This more goes towards Taysom Hill, but this also applies to Jameis Winston as well, because Jameis Winston unlike what a lot of people think, is a pretty athletic guy. So if they do want to use him in gadget plays as a backup quarterback, he would be working on other stuff other than being a quarterback in the offseason. However, that's not the case. Both players, from all the reports I have seen, have been continuously working on becoming the best quarterback they can be. Now, this is going to raise a few Interesting questions coming into the 2021-2022 NFL season. First off, whoever wins the quarterback competition, what is going to happen with the other guy? Are they just going to use them as an exclusive backup role where they won't be on the field at all unless it's a blowout game or one player gets benched over the other Or are there still going to be gadget plays within the offense for whoever does not win the role of starting QB? 
Number two, how will this affect those two players' careers moving forward? For Taysom Hill, does this mean that Taysom Hill requests a trade after this coming year if he doesn't get the starting spot? Or will he be happy with just being, well, Taysom Hill for the rest of his career? And then on the Jameis Winston side, if he doesn't get the starting job and is reduced to a backup role in the Saints, he will probably leave after this year. I believe his contract is up after this year, if I'm not mistaken. But even then, does that mean he will get a starting spot somewhere? And if so, what does that mean for that team in the future of the NFL? Because... All the workout videos I have seen is Jameis Winston being absolutely ridiculous. Like, perfect accuracy type of ridiculous. And I don't know about you, but from every report I've seen over the past year now, a little more than a year, since Jameis joined the Saints organization, he has consistently been a great worker, has progressed a lot as a quarterback mind and that LASIK surgery has helped him. So maybe, just maybe, his problem wasn't that he wasn't the best at making decisions, although that was probably still a little bit of it, but his problem with throwing 30 interceptions was the fact he could not see very well. And if that is the case, Jim Winston threw 5,000 yards without being able to see who he was throwing the ball to. Imagine what he'll be able to do when he sees his receivers downfield. That is going to be ridiculous. But regardless of what you think and who gets that role, it's going to be interesting how the locker room reacts and how Sean Payton molds the offense around whoever starts. Because depending on who starts, the offense does drastically change and shift from one play to the next, from one scheme to the next, from one personnel to the next. There will be nothing similar except the very basics of Sean Payton's offense if he runs Taysom Hill at quarterback or if he runs Jameis Winston at quarterback. Because they are two vastly different talents. So it will definitely be an interesting thing to see. Just like it will be an interesting thing to see how this play-in tournament for the NBA progresses and becomes more and more of a staple in the modern NBA. As all reports are pointing to now that the NBA play-in tournament will be back for 2022. Now, this is not in a official breaking news thing that is happening, there's no official report saying that it is confirmed 100%. However, all the reports that are coming out is that majority of the front office are in support of it, and Adam Silver would not is not seeming like he's pushing back and is actually for it, as it did help the league in a lot of ways recoup some of the losses they got from COVID because of how electric the play-in tournament was. I can't remember. It was something like 
the play-in tournament had one of the best ratings on ESPN since 2019. That's like in three years. It took them three years what they could have done in one day with the Warriors-Lakers play-in tournament. Now, it's not going to be that electric every single time, but even if you get... You're even going to get better ratings than you do in regular season games for these play-in tournament games. And personally, I feel like what they should do is shorten the game, shorten the regular season to 80 games and then allow the play-in tournament to be those extra two games for the teams that get in. So that way you're not lengthening the season at all. It's like you're playing a full 82 regular season, like 82 game regular season if you get into the play-in tournament. And you are, for all intents and purposes, making sure that you, that you are getting as many ratings as you can while keeping the players happy. Because realistically speaking, you're not losing that much revenue from an NBA TV ratings perspective if you lose two games because you still have those games you're televising on TV. So you're still gaining money and you're gaining a lot of money from it. Maybe you make the argument that the other 32 teams or other, what, not 32, 30 not there. It'll be like other 24 teams or so. Or so. I'm not 100% sure on the math here. No, yeah, it'd be about the other 20... There are six... The other 22 teams. My apologies. The other 22 teams are losing revenue there. So maybe that's the argument. And even then, I don't personally see the problem with having a play-in tournament. Because honestly, if you're the seventh seed... There's rarely ever a time where the seventh seed beats the two seed. Or the one seed loses to the eighth seed. That just doesn't happen very often. So what this does is it spices up the pl- it spices up those rounds, basically, because it makes sure you get the highest powered stars in the playoffs from the top ten seeds. And that is just good for basketball. And it's not like you're you're saying the seventh seed is going to win the championship. So you're not forcing people to lose. You're not forcing people to lose here. Like, you're not, no one's losing out as the seventh seed if they end up losing both the games. If you lose two games in a row, you are not making the NBA Finals regardless. If you're the eighth seed, you're not losing two games in a row and making the NBA championship. If you're the ninth seed, if you win two games in a row, you're making the chan you have a better shot at making the championship than whoever you're facing. And then same thing with the t- same thing with the tenth seed. So I am of the persuasion that the playing tournament is just good for basketball in general. And I think it will be great for years to come. Especially if after a few years, the NBA becomes okay with shortening the game regular season to 80 games. Because if you shorten the regular season to 80 games, 
it allows for those two play-in tournament games to replace them for a lot of teams so you don't get the the quote-unquote extra wear and tear on the bodies of players because you're playing extra game. There is no quote-unquote wear and tear. I'm just using the quotes as an example. Like, not as an example. As as a metaphor because it's not necessarily wear and tear. It's more likelihood of getting injured. You replace the likelihood of getting injured is is the same now or pretty much the same because you are not playing those two extra games. You're playing the same amount of games as the 20 as a normal regular season at this point. So I think that's a good compromise too between NBA players and the NBA front office because it allows both the NBA front office and the NBA's general to make more money while also allowing teams to get the rest when they need it. That rest is important for a lot of NBA teams, but also too much rest can be a detriment to your team. But a bigger detriment detriment is too little rest. So it's very important to get that balance. However, if your team is in good good condition and is good has good chemistry going into playoffs and is rolling so you don't have to load manage as much, that allows you to achieve something the Suns were able to achieve this year and make the NBA Finals. The Suns were one of the only teams to stay healthy throughout the entire year, start to finish, with a few little injuries, but nothing major, where where almost every single one of their starting five played 70-plus games. I believe every one of the starting five played 70-plus games in the regular season, if I'm not mistaken. And they were and that chemistry they were able to build up over the season translated into the playoffs. They were able to make the NBA Finals based off their chemistry. DeAndre Ayton was able to progress as much as he did because he was able to play as many games as he did. It is because of that progression they were able to make the NBA Finals. And then on the Bucks side of things, the Bucks play the Bucks play a lot. Like they do not load manage. You may have some people take off because of injury, but no one load manages on the Bucks. They're not like we're going to rest our starters this game. That's not what the Bucks do. And because of that, the only real there have been two real injuries on the Bucks. DiVincenzo being out for the year, which is just unfortunate, but it's not that big of a deal in terms of the grand scheme of the Bucks. And then Giannis getting injured in the game four of the NBA conference finals. However, Giannis, because he was in such good shape and he didn't load manage and he continued putting work into his body at all times and he took care of his body, was able to come back from an injury at first sight that looked like he may be out for an entire year in a week. This man came back from an injury that looked horrific at first sight in a week and looked good. Did he look his himself a hundred percent? No. But in those first two quarters, say first quarter and a half really, he looked like 
Greek. He looked like the Greek freak. No, it was the first two quarters. First two quarters, he looked like the Greek freak. The second half, not so much. You could tell he wasn't quite as explosive. He had some pro. He had some problems just in general, staying in front of people. He didn't score as much. He had all those problems, but that's going to come back because he's not as conditioned as he was a week ago. Because you just can't. It's impossible to condition when you're playing on a bad knee. Like you can't condition on a bad leg. You just can't. And then also he was putting all of the he was putting all his work into his leg. So you wouldn't want him to condition anyway and take anything away from that. And then also, it's hard to take a week off from basketball and then jump right back in and be dominant. So that should, but Giannis, regardless, had a good game. He had a 20 and 17 game, if I'm not mistaken. 20 points, 17 rebounds. And he had one of the best blocks in NBA Finals history on a leg that is not 100%. So going forward, Giannis is going to be good in this because these, both of these teams played out the regular season, played out the playoffs, didn't load manage. They're both in the NBA Finals because both of those teams have bodies that are conditioned for these long, grueling seasons because they did not, even though they did take time off, they didn't overdo it. And they kept their bodies in shape. And they kept their bodies maintained. So when the, so when it did come, they were ready. And now that they're both here, gosh, is it was game one such an entertaining game to watch? Now I know, at first sight, a 14-point win does not seem like a good game, but trust me, it was for the first half. The game was close. It felt like anyone's game. At the end, I think it was an eight-point game at half for Phoenix, but it didn't feel like it. It felt more like a four- to three-point game in Phoenix's favor because it was just bucket after bucket, people trading. In the first quarter, it was really Giannis and Devin Booker taking over as Giannis had eight points in the quarter and Devin Booker had 12 points in the quarter, which are both ridiculous. Especially Giannis coming off that ankle, or not ankle, I believe it was hyperextended knee. He he came out and he he looked dominant in that first quarter. And Devin Booker looked dominant in the first quarter as well. And it was him trading buckets back and forth, back and forth. And then the Suns and the Bucks as a whole trading buckets back and forth, back and forth. And the Suns did end up coming out with what I believe is a four-point lead at the end of the first but that game still lo- still felt amazing. And then even though Devin Booker and Giannis both cooled off in the second quarter, it didn't matter because other players picked up the slack. So it was still a good, really entertaining possession by possession, bucket by b- bucket game. There wasn't a single possession where I was like, oh, this game is boring which you'll get a lot of times in NBA games where you'll get stretches where you're like, oh, this is boring. That didn't happen in the first half at all. It was like competitive all the way through wire to wire in the first half. And that was amazing. Like you had moment after moment of different players hitting shots and momentum swings. It was amazing. And then in the third quarter, Chris Paul was like, 
give me the ball, move out of the way, I'm taking over this game, and scored 16 points with my personal first, the personal first ever five-point play I've ever seen where you get flagrant fouled on a shot attempt and hit the shot attempt and then hit both free throws. He got a five-point play. Dude, a five-point play. That's ridiculous. But regardless, Chris Paul then played amazing. But also, Chris Middleton heated up in the third quarter. So even though Chris Paul went bonkers, the Suns were only able to increase their lead by eight points to make it 16 points total because Chris Middleton himself scored 11 points on 67% shooting, which that's ridiculous in and of itself. And Brooke Lopez, I also believe, was able to score seven points on, I can't remember what the efficiency on, but it was on a good efficiency as well. So it, that game, it still felt, it was still a good third quarter, even if the Suns were pulling farther and farther ahead. And then in the fourth quarter, the Bucks go small ball, and they're able to cut it to seven, with I think it's about eight minutes to go. But then Cameron Payne, Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton all were like, no, we're going to stop this and stop the run and made sure that it was a double-digit game for pretty much the rest of the game after that eight points. It hovered around nine to eight points at some points, but the Suns would immediately get it back up to 10 when the Bucks would cut it to single digits, whether that was Cameron Payne early in the fourth, or as the fourth progressed, it was Devin Booker or Chris Paul or DeAndre Aiden scoring a timely bucket or getting a timely rebound or getting a timely assist. And that all culminated into the Suns being able to hold on to their lead and get it back up to the 13 points that it ended up being at the end of this game. Which, that's just a credit to how good the Suns were, but also how good the Bucks were. It's not like the Bucks were bad. Offensively, they scored 105 points, which that's not bad for a playoff game. For a playoff game, you score between 105 and 110, you're giving, your shot, you're giving yourself a shot to win there. Whereas their defense was really the only thing they needed to, like, tighten up. And that was in large part due to the fact that as the game progressed, actually just as the game in general, Giannis did not look as dominant as he usually does on the defensive end especially as the game progressed, but in totality as well. Other than that ridiculous, I mean, absolute absurd block. He had a good defensive game, but it was not a Giannis-level defensive game. And not the type of defensive output you we are accustomed to seeing from Giannis. So, if you get that fixed as he gets healthier, the game's going to get closer and closer and closer couple things I want to mention at the end of this game is that Drew Holiday played really Drew Holiday did not play well scoring-wise. He had a good assist night, and he played good defense. Chris Paul was just hitting ridiculous shots, but he was playing really good defense and just bothering, bothering Chris Paul as much as he could and whoever he was really guarding as much as he could. 
And then also DeAndre Ayton played absolutely amazing, finishing one rebound shy of a 2020 game. With really, he should have had the last rebound, but just as he was about to grab it, Chris Paul wasn't thinking and just took it from him. That actually took it from him. It was like a loose ball situation, but it was really, it was just him and DeAndre Ayton like near the ball for the rebound. And Chris Paul accidentally took it from him. But DeAndre Ayton really was the one who secured, he like didn't grab it, but he tipped it and then tipped it out. He like tipped it and then like tipped it out towards the like corner of the court. Not so it would go out of bounds, but just towards the back corner of the court. And it was just him and Chris Paul there. And Chris Paul just instinctually grabbed the ball. But if he doesn't really, if Chris Paul doesn't grab the ball there, DeAndre Ayton has a 20-20 game because DeAndre Ayton played absolutely masterful, scoring 20 points. I think it was 22 points on 80% shooting. On I think it was a total of like 12 shots, I believe, was the, the amount of shots he took in that game. A man scored 22 points on 12 shots. I believe it was 12 shots. Something insane like that. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. The fact you are not you are shooting the ball less times than some role players shoot on other teams, and you're scoring 20 points. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely and utterly ridiculous. So hats off to DeAndre Aiden. 100% hats off. And then on the Sun side, Devin Booker had an all right game, but he didn't have an amazing game. He scored 24 points, had six assists, but he was only eight from eight for 21, I believe it was, from the field, which I don't have the math on me right now, but that's under 50, that's a little, that's pretty far under 50%. I think it's something like it's in the mid 40s from what I, it's in the mid 40s. That's, yes. yeah, it's in about the mid 40s. A little lower than the mid-40s, I would think. Which, that's not great. That's not great if you are a... If you are Devin Booker. It definitely wasn't a horrible game. I'd say it's a below-average game for Devin Booker. It's not a bad game necessarily, but it's not necessarily a good game either. So it's probably below average, and I expect Devin Booker to pick it up efficiency-wise, even if he doesn't score a lot more, even if he finishes with 27-28 next, uh, ne- tomorrow, I would expect him to do it on closer to 50% shooting, rather than 38% shooting from the field, and 12% from three, which... I, I just was able to do the math in my head, so that's not good at all. That was not a, that's not a good game at all. It's not a bad game because he still scored twenty four, but it's not an efficient twenty four. So I can't call it a good game. But I know Devin Booker will have a bounce back game, so he'll probably shoot probably closer. I'd probably say above forty five percent from the field and probably above 38 percent from three, and probably score about twenty seven to twenty eight points is what I would think he would probably is going to average around for the rest of this series. So, which is really good averages. I expect him to bounce back. So, yeah. This is an outlier for Devin Booker, I think. Because 
So I just think he'll bounce back. So if he bounces back and Drew Holiday bounces back, Drew Holiday's going to need to bounce back. Drew Holiday's bounce back is going to be more than Devin Booker's. But the Suns also won by, won by a lot. Not a lot. Won by 13. So I think that's going to even out. And it's going to make the overall score. That will make the overall score within like 5 in favor of the Suns. And then Giannis continuing to be healthy will probably be another 5 to 10 point swing in all of this. So overall, you could definitely... Overall, this is going as the series progresses, it's going to get tighter and tighter and tighter. And these teams are so evenly matched that one thing can go different. If one thing goes different for each team after all the stars are playing good, it could really mean the difference for their team. Like, for example, the fact that uh, Jay Crowder had one point and was 0 from 8 from the field and 0 from 5 from 3. That's not going to happen again. But say instead of doing that, he goes 8 for 8 from the field and 5 from 5 for 3, then you get like a ridiculous Jay Crowder game, which he is he is it's possible for him to do that every once in a while. And I expect him to have one of those games where it's not 8 for 8 from the field and 5 for 5 from 3, but maybe maybe it's more like 6 from 8 from the field and 4 or 5 from 3. Something like that. I expect Jay Crowder to have one of those games. And I think Jay Crowder having that game versus a 0 for 8 performance could quite literally determine a game in this series. Because the more and more I think about this series, the closer and closer it becomes. Because at first, I was just swinging back before fourth between like Milwaukee and six, Suns and six, Milwaukee and six, Suns and six. And the more and more I thought about it, I was like, no, this is going to be a tight, down to the wire, seven game series most likely. And what's going to decide it is either one of two things. One, who's role players who are gonna step up more and more consistently in these finals. Or two, Chris Paul, Devin Booker, Giannis or Chris Middleton is going to have to take over in a Game 7 or take over in Game 6 or have one of those games late in the series where they take over and they propel their team to the victory just as Chris Paul kind of did. The, no, he did do it this game. But Chris Paul will need to do it again later in the series if they're going to want to win this or Devin Booker is going to have to do it Devin Booker also has that capability to take over a game. So Devin Booker can also do it. But one of those two people will have to take over another game if they really want to win this series. Because Giannis will take over a game. There will be a there will be a Giannis finals game. It will happen. And it's whoever can get that second takeover game or who or whoever has the most consistent role players will win this series. It will be one of the two, because either we will not get another takeover game, and it will be the role players, or we will get another takeover game in game six or game seven, and that will decide the series. However, regardless of what happens, I'm here for it, because this series is going to be one of the best final series that I have watched in my entire life. 
this is going to be the best final series since 2016. Because you have what? Dynasty Golden State Warriors, Dynasty Golden State Warriors, the Toronto Championship where everyone was injured on Golden State, and then you have the Bubble Championship. All four of those championships were like, they're good, don't get me wrong. They were fun to watch, but they were not like, there's no drama in those. Not for the most part. In the Toronto series, you were like, oh, who's going to win? KD's going to come back. But as soon as KD got injured, and then Clay got injured, you were like, Toronto's winning this. There's, there's no way Steph Curry can carry a team without two of their top three players when you have a top five player in the world on the other side, along with a top 20 player in the world, and then someone who is looking like they were becoming a top 30 player in the world. So it's it's just not going to happen. It just isn't. And that's fine. It's just not going to happen. And that's okay. So, and then you had the bubble championship who no one was really thinking the Heat were going to win that. And it wasn't like an entertaining six-game series or a close six-game series. It was a pretty lopsided six-game series. Kind of how the Suns was a lopsided six-game series. It was the same thing for the Lakers, where they were up, from my recollection, they were up 3-1, then the Heat stole game five, and then the Lakers quashed them in six. So this has a chance to be the most entertaining series in the last five years, and maybe even one of the most entertaining and impactful series for this generation of NBA fans. The, talking about impact on the next generation of NBA fans, I hope that you, the listener, got something from this show because I really enjoy talking about this and I hope I did impact you in some way so that you can go and enjoy basketball, go and enjoy football because sports are an amazing thing. This is the end of this episode. But if you are planning on subscribing to the YouTube channel, if you haven't already and are listening to this on YouTube, or following the Spotify channel and you haven't followed the Spotify profile yet, you can click follow, you can click subscribe, but you can also go down into the description below where I have my blog where I post weekly articles about similar topics around the league on the NFL and NBA, and as well have all my podcasts, all 36 or 37 of them at this point. I can't remember. There are a lot of them at this point, where I talk about NBA stuff going all the way back to last November. So go check that out if you're interested. Even if you're not, I really thank you for tuning in to this episode. If you want to hear my thoughts, maybe about high school sports, especially more specifically Austin high school sports, you can also go to uh, vibe.com and search up Patrick O'Leary, where you will find my Vibe profile too. So there's that. Thank you so much for listening to this episode, Smash fans. I can't thank you all enough. And until next time, PD Smash, signing off. They can say what they want now.